Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. pastor of Horizon Church. If you haven't seen me for a while uh, and you were hoping I was not coming back, here I am. All good. Everyone relax. Princeton, hope you're doing well. Those of you that are online, uh, you know, it was so fun. Uh, Last week, I saw uh, someone that I first started getting emails from, I think we did, uh, maybe six months ago from somewhere in South America, Peru, I think. And wonderful thing of it all was that uh, he said, we're coming to Canada at some time. And they've been watching online. Well, two weeks ago, I met him in person in our lobby because he had been coming online for a long time. And so he's looking forward to meeting many of you. So, so fun. You wonder what sometimes what's happening online. That's one of the good things uh, that's happening. Um, Hmm. Yeah. I haven't been in a pulpit anywhere since April the 17th. So if uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's like riding a bike. <laughs> Not sure. It could be a little awkward at times. Uh, I'm just going to try and share some things that are on my heart and uh, we'll see where it goes. But likely you've been hearing, if you've been watching the news, things about baggage problems in the world. My, like you see pictures of like thousands of bags piled up, people wondering where their baggage is on their trip. Some people are putting tracking devices on them now and different things like that. Uh, others uh, just don't find their bags. My, one of my nephews went on his honeymoon uh, recently, I think in the last week or so, uh, he and his wife to, I think, Cancun. But their baggage made a three-day three day, uh, side trip to explore Mexico City. So <laughs> they're uh, figuring that out as well. Baggage issues are all out there. Uh, we were going through uh, YVR and uh, standing in the line. We're just checking the, the, what do you call that, the scanner, just to carry on bags. And there was so much backup that this, the line stopped moving. Uh, because so many people uh, had forgotten the baggage rules. Uh, when they say 100 milliliters or something like that, I forget what it is that you can carry in a, in a one container. Some people were bringing like the one liters and saying, well, there's only 100 milliliters left in there. Surely I'm okay. <laughs> so people are sticking things in there that they forgot. We're out all in practice. And when baggage problems that affected everybody else around them as well. And they give you some suggestions when you're packing your bags, like things like don't let someone else pack your bag, or if they do, make sure you know what they put in it. Could get you in trouble. Don't pack dangerous items. You go through a whole checklist. Have you packed uh, uh, this? Have you packed sharp objects? Do you have a knife in there, a gun, all these kinds of things? All the answers to those are no, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Also important that you pack light or you'll incur baggage fees. In fact, even it might even be a good idea to not check any bags so that you can make sure your bag gets there where you're hoping it would go. It's always easier to travel light, as evidenced by the thousands of bags that are packed up in airports all around the world. 
And sometimes life is like that. It's so easy to find extra things, so easy to pack things in the baggage of our life that we're not always aware of how it got there. We're not always aware of how much there's there. But it gets in, things get into our heart, into our soul. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. First Peter 5 and 7 warns us of this. It says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Where are we carrying our cares? Because we're carrying them somewhere. And we, we, we often carry them in our hearts. We carry them in our soul realm. And if we carry too much for too long, it will cause us problems. Proverbs 4 and 23 enlarges on that a little bit above, where it says, above all else, guard. Someone say guard. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Scripture's warning us, check your baggage. What's going on inside where no one sees is actually what drives what everyone sees. And for sake of illustration, our heart or soul to me is like a, a backpack. It's a place to carry things. And somehow, sometimes things get overloaded with our hearts or in our hearts. So why do we experience things like this? Well, sometimes we let down our guard because what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to guard our hearts. But sometimes we let down our guard. We're not paying attention to what's getting in our heart and something lands in our heart that's not good for us. Other times it might be just something happens. We don't know what to do it, so we just kind of stuff it away and hope maybe time will deal with it or hope we'll forget about it. Or maybe we have just too many things going on all at once and it's just overwhelming and we just overwhelms our ability to handle. Other times we might experience things like this because of our poor decisions or we might have all experienced painful things at the hands of others that lands things in our hearts. What do you mean, Craig? Well, things like this that land in our hearts could be the pain of loss, of relationships, of a job, of a marriage, of a friendship. Could be disappointment about not getting what you expected you would get or getting what you didn't think you would get. The disappointment that lands in our hearts. Could be false accusation or slander or injustice. Could be someone in your immediate family that has an addiction problem and you have to deal with it as well. Could be a prayer that didn't get answered the way that you thought it would where it might be, why are we still infertile? Why are, why are they still caught in their addiction? Why did I lose that job? Why did our family not stay together? It could be financial loss or devastation or ongoing financial challenges. It could be sexual assault or sexual abuse issues. All of these things cause things to happen in our heart. Then don't underestimate what we went through in your childhood. We pray and hope that all of us have amazing childhoods, but we know enough that things happen. Growing up in poverty, maybe, experiencing physical or verbal abuse or abandonment. Maybe your parents got divorced or one walked out on you and abandoned. Maybe you never came to know what appropriate touch is physically. Maybe your parents were fighting all the time. Then there's other things beyond our childhood where some of you in the room have literally fled for your lives and came to Canada 
because you are fleeing persecution. Bitterness can land in our hearts and resentment and anger and hatred and indifference and discouragement and anxiety and overwhelm. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows everything of your life. And so we go through life, and often many of us are packing things, and we're not even fully aware of it. The extras, the dangerous things, the things packed by others. And, but a heart or a life that is overpacked or packed with the wrong things is going to cause problems because out of our, out of our what? Out of our heart, our life flows. Everything that we do in life flows out of our heart. So the unseen is what leads to the seen. So the seen things that we do, the things that are negative in our life, the, the issues that we're struggling with, the thought life, the anxiety, the frustration, the bitterness, the, the, the anger, whatever it might be, the fruit is, it's important to deal with it, but the way we deal with it is not just to deal with the fruit we go after and a little deeper, even past our thoughts and deep into the heart. But the reality is, is by ourselves, we can't deal with our heart all by ourselves. We can guard it, and we certainly need to do it with the help of the Lord. But what about when it's packing? Everything we do flows from what's going on in our heart, so we need to pay attention. When we left on sabbatical, I was very tired. I was hurting. I was bruised and battered for a whole host of reasons. And one of the big goals of the sabbatical was to rest, to be refreshed, and allow the Lord to do a work. In early May, I was listening to a podcast about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a, wrote, a Christian writer in the 50s and 60s. He wrote things like the Chronicles of Narnia and a whole host of other things, uh, the screw tape letters, different things, usually allegories to illustrate a spiritual truth. And as I was listening to this podcast about his life, it was kind of interesting, but suddenly a thought popped into my head, a scene from one of the books uh, I won't go into what the scene was. It'll just take too much time. But So I was like pondering this and I was like, I've, I've learned to pay attention that when something just kind of pops into my head, I want to think about it. I'm like, why did that just suddenly show up? And so I'm thinking about that and meditating on it a little bit and sitting with my headphones on and, and just pondering and communing with the Lord and wondering what this was all about. And suddenly, in the middle of it all, I sensed the quiet whisper of the Holy Spirit. And he assured me I was going to be okay. He said, I wasn't sure. I love being vulnerable like this. He was going to help me. He was going to lead me and show me what to do and how to do it. In fact, he said, I'm going to do something that you could never do. And so I sat there on the plane. <laughs> I'm sitting beside a little kid. I think he was watching Paw Patrol, lady over in the corner snoring, Shanda's beside me, and tears are just running down my face. And I felt like something was beginning to shift because my backpack was full. It was full. A day or so later, I felt prompted to go to Isaiah 61, and we're going to go there in a moment. It was written by a prophet named Isaiah about 3,000 years ago. And this piece that we're going to read is a prophetic, uh, it's a prophetic word about the coming of Jesus. Jesus, in fact, I think it's in Luke 4, read the same passage out of Isaiah and said, I've come to fulfill it. In this day, I fulfill it. And it's this. It's what Jesus came to do. Not just for me, but for all of us. 
Starting at verse 1 of chapter 61, if you can open your Bible. If you have a Bible, open it. Can we bring the lights up a little bit to us, please, as well? Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit, and this is talking about Jesus. This is Jesus' quote. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And over the next several days, I just sat in that passage and read it and meditated it and thought about it and asked the Lord to speak to me as he often does. And, and I, I looked at the word anointing, which means the blessing, the affirmation, the ability, the divine empowerment of God to do what he's called you to do. And Jesus was anointed to do by God himself all that he said. And so all that Jesus is saying in that is to remind us that this is not about our willpower. It's not about grit your teeth. It's not about tough your way through. It's not about just uh, pretend it's not there. But by the, the anointing of God, Jesus came to do some incredible things in us and for us and through us. And he, I want to start with a little bit by focusing on the word proclamation, to proclaim, to call or proclaim. This word has a bit of a uh, creative aspect. It's, it's the same word used when Jesus, or when God said in the beginning in creation, he called the, night, the day, day. He called the dry land, earth. There's a creative aspect to it. There's a, something more than just a simple word. We see it illustrated in uh, this word proclamation, probably the most famous one in our uh, recent history, 100, 150 years, the Emancipation Proclamation in the United States, written by Abraham Lincoln to emancipate or free the slaves. Now, the slaves could no longer be held because a word had gone out. A word with anointing and authority behind it had gone out. One who was appointed to speak spoke and changed everything. No longer could the slaves be held. The proclamation, which was simply words, changed the situation. The proclamation, which was simply words, changed the situation. And when Jesus speaks, his proclamation changes the situation. It's not empty words. It's not some sound in the air alone. There's a creative, active force behind what Jesus says. And there's a proclamation. If you're a follower of Jesus, a proclamation that has gone out, that supersedes, overrules whatever has been proclaimed over our lives to this point. In Canada, the final, I believe it's the final step of a law that goes through a whole process, but the final step is royal proclamation. It comes into effect when the governor general or the lieutenant governor proclaims it into law, and then it has the effect of changing situation, reordering the landscape, saying this is a new way we're going to do something, or we're going to correct an old thing that is out of order. A proclamation has gone out, and there's five proclamations that I want to highlight here that are in... Uh, Isaiah 61, the first is proclaim good news. Someone say good news, good news to the poor. Now, there's a lot of bad news in the world right now. There's, there's war, there's 
So much war going on. There's, uh, I was listening to T.D. Jakes earlier. He said, we must be in the end times. He said, we've had the chicken flu. We've had the avian flu. We've had the pig flu. We've had the, the, the bat flu. We've had, we've had the, all the, we're running out of animals now. He said, some problem here. We have war going on in the Ukraine. We're, we have it going on in other places in the world. There's all kinds of stresses and struggles in the world, groans. But in the middle of it all, in a world that's full of bad news, Jesus says, I bring good news to those who don't know how to fix things, to those that feel powerless, to those that feel that they can't, there is no way. See, the poor, being poor in Canada is one thing, when, and it's not fun in any way, shape, or form. However, in ancient times, there was no uh, governmental support of any, nearly of any kind. And so you were often faced incredible obstacles and the rich would sometimes, and that's why you see much in the, in the prophets about the wealthy using their influence to use it for good. But often they would use it to, to twist the justice of the courts and do all kinds of things that the prophets would say, no, 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 don't do that. But Jesus came and says, good news to those that are feeling lack, to those that are feeling afflicted, to those that are feeling powerless that I have come and proclaim a proclamation. Some words have gone out that have that really changed and altered the situation that we're in. And my heart began to hear again that Jesus was proclaiming good news afresh over places where I felt powerless, afflicted, and alone. And for anyone today that doesn't feel like they measure up, that, that you don't have the upbringing, that you don't have the resources, that you don't have the background, that if people really knew what was in your past, I'm proclaiming good news, no matter what has been, that the God of heaven is still around, that Jesus is still proclaiming good news, that the rest of the story is not written yet, that God is, is still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or even imagine. There's still good news. And he, then he said, I come to proclaim freedom for the captives. No longer do we have to live under the penalty of sin. No longer do we have to live under the power of sin. And not many of us are literally in captivity to a, in a literal jail. Some might be, but it's broader than that. It's talking about the prison of curses and the prison of lies. You know, the word when you were a kid... Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. I don't know who wrote that. I realized in many places I'd been wounded by the words of others, some going back many years that I'd dealt with to a measure, but the Holy Spirit was helping to show me where I was living at less than my best self. And I believe that some of you might be walking in similar spaces. I had a couple of conversations in the last couple of weeks. One, where someone that I know talked about how in the midst of a conflict with their parent, they were about 14, and in the middle of it, the mom, in exasperation, blurted out, I wish I had never had you. I wish you were never born. Why don't you leave? And he left. Eventually, he kind of patched it up, but it wasn't until probably nearly probably 25, 30 years later that they were able to address that. And the, the, the young man had struggled and battled with that because it was landed in his heart. I know another lady who struggled with, her, with body image issues because her dad commented when she was a preteen that she better not stay fat like she was. 
All kinds of things land. But Jesus is saying to us, regardless of what the word has gone out over our lives by others, even by ourselves sometimes, we're really good at cursing ourselves. Regardless of what is holding us, freedom is not only possible, but it's actually been proclaimed as a new and living way for those that follow Jesus. It's not only freedom from, it's freedom to. It's freedom from confusion to clarity, from cursing to blessing from sin to forgiveness, from discouragement to believing again, from depression to hoping again, from pain to healing, from sorrow to laughing again, from loss to building again, from abandonment to relationship, from insomnia to deep rest, from rejection to connection, from powerlessness to significance, to write a better story. He came to proclaim release from darkness for the prisoners. That word release means a new perspective something opening that had previously been closed for, for those experiencing distress. That, that word for prisoner is those in distress. Distress means in great pain, anxiety, sorrow, physical or mental suffering that goes on. I know that prior to sabbatical, I was experiencing distress. I was fighting to see clearly. I was battling to keep a right perspective. But Jesus reminded me, my kind and loving Jesus, the light of the world, that although my distress was real, he never stopped shining his light into the dark and the scary places of my heart, my mind, and my perspective. And Jesus was proclaiming to all of us, I will bring any of us out of darkness that confuses and corrupts. I will walk you through dark valleys of discouragement, of fear, of distress, of pain, of anxiety, of sorrow, of food addiction, of suffering, of pornography. I will walk you out of the prisons of people pleasing, of control, of bitterness, offense, unforgiveness, suspicion, whatever it is, nothing is too hard for the Lord to give us a new perspective, to see things clearly again, to see things from the perspective of heaven, the one, Jesus, the light of the world. And the next section begins to turn towards a vision for the future, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Favor, what does that mean? And this context is connected to the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years. It's a whole sermon in itself, so I won't go there, but it literally is where the canceling of all debt and bondage. And it also meant unprecedented divine favor. Unprecedented divine favor. Earlier, Shanda was referring to people in spaces that are challenging you've been looking to. And I just had this kind of this picture that there's one thing of looking back and giving praise for what God has done. And it's important to do that. That's praise. To me, when you're looking into an uncertain future and you have some things and challenges that you're walking through, there's, there's a sacrifice of praise. That's I don't know what's happening right now, but I am going to give a sacrifice of praise. And it's a statement of faith. And I felt like that this morning that some of you have done that and, and are doing that, but I felt to connect this word unprecedented favor. 
and that you begin to proclaim unprecedented favor over what God has promised you that you do not see yet. That Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that we might get some more insight from Deuteronomy 33, 23. So if that's you, the reality is, is the unprecedented favor, the unprecedented favor of God to do what was impossible, what is impossible for you, the the unprecedented favor of God to open, which has seemed shut to you, the unprecedented favor to close the door on some things that have continued to be open that have not been good, the unprecedented favor of God in your mind, the unprecedented favor of God in your emotions, the unprecedented favor of God in your situation. As you look at your future, I'm going to look at a verse right now in Deuteronomy 33 and 23, I think it is. They can find it up there. And if I can find it here, my eyes are adjusting there. Moses said this about the tribe of Naphtali. This is one of the first times this word was used in favor. Oh, Naphtali, You are rich in favor and full of God's blessings. May you possess to the west and to the south. Jesus is speaking and he's saying, the blessing, the resource, the people, the connections, the increase that is needed, he's releasing in this moment that he will get you through inflation, injustice, rejection, lies, pain, whatever you're going through. It might be difficult, but the unprecedented favor of God is greater. And a proclamation has gone out from heaven that I walk in as Psalm 512 says, surrounded with his favor like a shield, so that when I step into a situation, God is going before me. His favor is going before me. I don't know what he's doing. I can't always see it, but I believe that he's moving in favor. And when I'm looking at my past, I believe that God shelters me from it like a shield by his favor. The connection. So when Jesus said, I've come to have favor on your life, unprecedented and extravagant. Jesus was continuing to open. And this one as well, the day of vengeance of our God. If there's things in our heart, this is incredibly important. Romans 12 and 19, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. This is in order to get into our future, we have to let go of the past nasty baggage. For me, for you, that means turning people, turning hurtful people and hurtful situations over to the Lord. Because there's sometimes you can't solve some things. It's just not possible by yourself. And so in the meantime, while you're praying about it, you release people. We release situations to the Lord and say, Lord, you deal with it however you want to deal with it. You keep the books. You know what's going on. I might not be seeing this correctly. I might have said something stupid. I release this situation to you, Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay so we can forgive. We can release our desire for vengeance or retribution to him and move on with our lives. And by the grace of Jesus, we can move past the pain, past the betrayal, past the difficulty, past the the situation that you can't even figure out. But Jesus doesn't just proclaim words that do proclamation that changes our situation. He also comes near. So that in the middle of it all, it's not just words from some ivory tower that he proclaims out. They're powerful words, but even more than that, in the middle of it all, 
there's this phrase of hope that says he binds up the brokenhearted. I've talked to many people that are simply brokenhearted over so many different situations, and it would be silly to think that all the stuff that we've seen in, over the last two years around the pandemic isn't part of it. The problems, the chaos, and the division is well known. And I know that my heart was also very heavy and hurting. In early May, when I sat on the porch at my daughter's house, and daughter and son-in-law, with my Bible, my journey, journal, my coffee, and my tears, I realized that Jesus was close. And he does do what he says he would do. He binds up the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 and 8 says the Lord is close. Someone say close. He's close. To the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And the psalmist reminds you and me today that Jesus is close. When the proclamation has gone out and the situation still hasn't changed yet, he's close to the brokenhearted. Where do you feel broken today? See, a beautiful thing is Jesus doesn't just heal from a distance. He doesn't just touch and leave. He draws close. He's close. It's important when you're packing your bags to get the right things in your bags. If you're going to Hawaii, you do not pack a parka or snowshoes. You don't. You got to probably pack a swimsuit, some T-shirts, whatever else, maybe some snorkeling gear. But you got to pack correctly. And in this next part of the passage, we see Jesus coming close, offering to lighten the weight of our heart and our soul and load it in exchange for the right stuff. He said, I give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Ashes are the remnant of something that was and is now gone. It's changed forever. If you have a pile of wood, I have bees, and so I have a, if you're going to work with the bees, you have to give them some smoke to calm them down, and there's a whole, uh, it's not abuse of them, don't, don't write me. Um, <laughs> It's part of the process. It doesn't harm them. But you put something in there, maybe paper or wood, and you light it on fire, and it produces smoke. And then you work with it, and at the end, all that's left is ashes. It might have been paper or wood before, but its form has forever been changed, and it can never go back to what it was. And there are some things that the Scripture acknowledges in our, that are like that in our lives. Beauty for ashes. Ashes represent days of pain, days of losing, Maybe humiliation, insignificance, distress. Those experiencing th such things often back in, in the time of this, the scriptures was written is they would take ash and they would throw it in the air and it would get on their hair and on their clothes to show how mournful they were. Ashes represent things that were once good and strong but are now gone forever. Some of you maybe have been through fire that has consumed dreams Consumed relationships, consumed your peace, consumed a marriage, finances, job, whatever. But I know that I needed to accept that there were some ashes in my life, some from long ago, that I needed to 
that I knew would never be the same. And it was important for me to sit in the ashes, to process the ashes and the pain and the disappointment of what might never change. And then look to Jesus and say, Lord, the one that's come close right now. See, Jesus then says, I can begin to blow away the ashes. It's not the end. It's not the end of your story. He's tenderly dusting us off, blowing off the ashes. Instead of ashes, we exchange, and he puts something fresh and new in our heart. He gave a crown of beauty. just symbolizes that we come under significance, and, and protection and life and love and that a brighter day is coming. Ashes are not the end. What ashes do I need to recognize to invite Jesus to dust off? And he says, the oil of joy instead of mourning. I don't know about you, but I don't mourn well. I want to move on. That's what I want to do something negative happened. I just want to move on. But the reality is in Western culture, we, we don't mourn well. I've been to uh, funerals in Africa. and I've been to them in the South Pacific. And mourning is entirely different. It's a very expressive. It's very heartfelt. But in a Western culture, we don't mourn so well. And many of us are experts at stuffing, ignoring, and minimizing our pain, our loss, and on top of that, there are those in hyperfaith that feel like acknowledging that the reality of your pain is somehow marking you as unspiritual and insignificant. It's not. Right there in the scriptures, it just says there's an acknowledgement instead of mourning. Because our body and our souls cannot hide the reality of pain. It comes out somewhere. Matthew 5 and 4 says, blessed are those who mourn. I always looked at that so funny. Blessed are those who mourn. What do you mean? Here's the rest of the stories. For they shall be comforted. All it's saying, I read this and I realized that if I want to experience comfort, I must mourn. I can't experience comfort if I don't acknowledge my pain and come close and pour out the reality of what is lost. Worship team, you can begin to make your way. So I did a very simple thing when I read that and I was struck by it. I wrote out a list of things that I was mourning about that I hadn't acknowledged. I wrote a list and I wrote a list and I asked Jesus to help me and over time I mourned them. And I felt the pain and I faced the pain and Jesus helped me through the pain and comforted me in the midst of the pain. We have a little granddaughter who comes and visits us sometimes. She, has, she is an expert at unloading our cupboards to rearrange them in whatever way she wants, pulling out things and throwing them. She's just starting to reach up to the drawer, the top drawer where the knives are. She can't quite reach into there yet. But sometimes, if you can imagine if little Windsor was holding a knife at the wrong end, any parent or grandparent would say something like, you need to let go of that or it's going to hurt you. Let go of it. If you keep holding on, it's going to hurt you. And in a similar way, if we keep holding on to things, we're going to get hurt. 
Jesus wants to restore joy, but I must go through. We must go through. Jesus is the one who said it, the process of mourning. And let go. Because he wants to give joy. Because Nehemiah 8 and 10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So as I'm mourning, Jesus is doing something supernatural. It doesn't mean that I forget what happened, or that, but somehow in the middle of it all, I can experience something deeper than was possible for me by myself. But mourning brings comfort. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning brings comfort. Comfort brings joy. Joy brings strength. So if I don't learn how to mourn well, I won't experience true joy and true strength well. So stuffing or filling my backpack rather than dealing with and pulling it out, all the things that I needed, the ashes that are there, the things that need to be mourned through so that Jesus can put on me the reality of a, a new day, the new crown, that he can bring joy where there isn't any. It's possible. Not only is it possible, day by day I'm experiencing it. And you can too. Because on top of the Lord bringing strength, joyful, this is what research tells us on the science side, joyful people are more likely to have stronger immune systems, make more money, have fewer aches and pains, live longer, have less disease and disability. So the rules of packing, don't let someone else pack your bag. If you have, it could get you in trouble. So I want to turn it over to Jesus. He gave me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heavens. Don't pack dangerous items like bitterness and unresolved pain, or you'll be a danger, we'll be a danger to others and to ourselves. Pack light. Back light. Psalm 55 and 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. I experience his sustenance when I participate in casting my cares on the Lord. First Peter 5 and 7 says, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What's going on inside of me that no one sees is the driver of what everyone sees. I want you to stand to your feet. Let's bow your head for a moment. Just ask the Lord real quietly between you and him. Let's keep eyes closed for the privacy for the people around us. Lord, is there any space where I'm still packing some stuff? Any space where something that I did, something that's been done to me, an injustice, whatever it might be, 
Is there any space where I'm carrying some baggage that you want to help me with? Every head bowed, eyes closed. Just, that's you. Can you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Jesus, we invite you to help us deal with our bags. If your hand is up, maybe just say something like that to the Lord. I, I just need your help. I just need your help. Jesus, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. Lord, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you gave us beauty for ashes, the oil and joy for mourning, and the armor of grace for the spirit of heaviness. And in spaces where we only see ashes, give us the perspective and hear the proclamation of the reality that you speak over our lives. In places where there's mourning, us courage to face pain and to release to you our pain, the pressure, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the sense of injustice, whatever it might be. And Lord, thank you that you clothe a new, fresh clothing over us, the oil, the garment of praise, the oil of joy, the garment of praise. encourage you um, if if maybe your hand was up or you know should have been up maybe to take a few moments sometime this week and just sit down and make a list of things that are ashes and sit with the Lord a little bit just Lord what do you, what do you want to say to me maybe you need to Take some time to mourn over some things that you just haven't taken the time to. You've been busy and who knows why. To mourn over them. Not just to sit in our ashes or to sit in our mourning. Because God wants to shift us, move us. Maybe you need to reach out to a counselor. several times in my life. You need to ask a friend to pray over you, pray with you, not to solve the problem. Sometimes just pray with you, listen to you. There's a time in my life in my mid-20s where I went through version one. Where every time that there was an opportunity for prayer, I was at the front. One of my regular prayers was, God, I'm so messed up on the inside. I don't even know what is wrong. How would you help me? Little by little. And by bit. 
His grace is not changing. Continues to come to me. The reality of Jesus. It's not just a God up there. It's the God right here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lives inside us. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.